Thank you, you guys. So we have begun the series on the tight five. And this is about the five purposes of church. So last week was an introduction. Uh, we had our picture of... Uh, these were our type five. So uh, worship in the middle. Uh, the two props was uh, koinonia, which is relationships of mutual obligation. So it's not just hanging out, but um, there's relationships that mean something in a, in a kind of deep way. Relationships of mutual obligation. So that was one prop, worship. The other prop was social concern, how we minister to those outside the church. The two locks were evangelism and edification. Edification is spiritual formation of becoming more like Jesus. So, the tight five. Um, Warren, next week, is going to talk about worship. And the week after, Dan is going to talk about social concern. So, good stuff to come. Um, Amanda is going to talk about koinonia. Evangelism. And we're going to have, now I believe um, Luke's going to help us partway through. Is that right, Luke? Do I see you? Maybe not. Yes. Uh, just give a, a little few minutes about how, um, how he does evangelism and um, how the Spirit works with him. So I'll call on Luke sort of near the end of the message. The tight five, they go together. Our rugby coach at high school, bung-eyed Norm, he had one lazy eye. And he used to have this saying, he said, I should be able to throw a blanket over all of you. He didn't like the tight five, the, the front row and the locks being too far apart. You know, it was okay for the loose forwards or the backs to be all over the place, but he always wanted the tight five to stay tight, together, close. And... Um, particularly for the locks. The locks in the scrum, if they're loose, they, there's no power for them to go, uh, to be able to push in the scrum. The evangelism and edification go together. And uh, we'll show the picture of the line-out. Um, the line-out, so guys jumping, yeah. We might turn off those lights, please, Warren, at the door out here. We'll be able to see it better. And um, so this is, I think, the South Africans. I love South Africans. I do. I truly do. Ever. <laughs> I love you, Nathan. But <laughs> uh, ever since we went to South Africa 20-something years ago, um, South Africans have great forwards. Great scrummages, great lineups, and one of the reasons, um, right by the door, and um, one of the reasons they are so good at uh, lineouts. You see, in the lineouts these days, is you lift people, so you uh, help lift them up to receive the ball, and then you bring them down again. One of the reasons South Africans are so good at lifting in the line-out is they have been doing it for years 
In fact, many years before it was legal, South Africans were lifting in the lineup. But what you, what you have to do is you lift up the player, offer it a lock, and then you bring them down again and protect them all the way through. Evangelism doesn't go by itself. In fact, uh, evangelism, speaking for Jesus, um, is, is really important that it's amongst the community of faith. A uh, survey was done a few years ago about how people came to faith in Jesus. And it happened mostly in church. And mostly, not the first time someone came to church, and mostly before someone was uh, before the age of 18. So, evangelism goes really closely with koinonia, the loose head prop, and edification. So it's no good coming to faith if you don't grow in your faith. Hey, that doesn't work. And if, that, if evangelism is just by itself, it just it tends to fade and die. The jumper needs support. So we're going to look at three things about evangelism. And should we read uh, John chapter 15, verses 25? I'm not sure if we start at 25 or 26. 25. Gospel of John, Jesus said, um, But this is to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will talk about me. And you also must talk about me. For you have been with me from the beginning. So three things I want to say about this. Number one, evangelism is an expectation of the Son of God, of Jesus. This is what Jesus expected. He says, I want you also to speak about me. Secondly, it's a verbal expression of the friends of God. To speak in a verbal way. To speak. And thirdly, it's an echo of what the Spirit of God is doing. The Holy Spirit's already doing it. And this is an echo. Number one, evangelism is an expectation by Jesus of his friends. Jesus expected that his friends would talk about him. He did. Verse 27, you also must testify about me. Now, the uh, original word is the word Mataraite in Greek. Mataraite. Mataraite. Sounds like mata. Hey. That's where the word mata comes from. Those that testify about Jesus. In fact, um, both are in this chapter. There's the friends of Jesus and the enemies of Jesus. He says, There's going to be people that will hate you because they hated me. But now, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. So there's enemies of Jesus and there's friends of Jesus. They're going to hate you because they hated me. But my friends, I expect you to testify about me, to speak about me. 
They hated me, verse 25, without reason. Uh, a couple of years back here, we had a, a wonderful young man, and I'd have to say he'd be in my probably top 10 of really nice guys, like just super nice. Like everyone who met him liked him, and um, all our kids liked him. Every kid liked him. Uh, every adult liked him. And he was a young doctor at the hospital, and he came up for a prayer one time. And he was really confused because um, he was just getting pummeled at work. Like like, um, one person in particular, but not just them, were just at him. And he was a good worker, he was a good doctor, he was working hard. And we were praying for him, and we didn't kind of know, why would anyone dislike him? And the guy who was praying with with me for him said, um, to, um, by the way, do they know you're a Christian? And he said, I don't know. I, I guess they've seen me uh, reading the Bible. And he said, oh, that's it. They hate you because they hate him. They will hate you because they hated him. So kind of get used to it, you know. And Jesus said, but still, you, you must still testify about me, even though they hate you. Uh, 16 verse 2, the next chapter says, and they will kick you out of the synagogue, which means they will exclude you. If you want to do something that a, a Jewish person hates, it's, it's push them out of the synagogue. That was their community. That was everything. And that still goes on. People will take you out of the club if you love Jesus. That will happen. People will exclude you in 21st century ways. So, are you still in? <laughs> if you're a friend of Jesus, that will happen. But you still need to testify about me. I met a Kenyan guy about ooh, 10 years ago. And um, first time to New Zealand. And I love... When people first come to New Zealand, I love talking to them about what they think, what they see, what they feel, because it's, uh, it's all new, you know, they see things with fresh eyes. And I asked them, I said, what do you, what do you think about, the, about New Zealand and New Zealand Christians? And he was, you know, being African, very polite, just wanted to say nice things. And, um, but I pushed him, I pushed him, I said, what do you think? He says, well, I think, um, I think, New Zealand Christians are a bit shy. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, in Kenya, if I was on a bus and sitting next to someone, I would inquire if they knew Jesus. And if they didn't, I would try to introduce them to Jesus. And if I hadn't done it when the bus stopped and they got off, I would get off and chase them down the street. (laughs) That doesn't happen in New Zealand, does it? (laughs) But it is the expectation of the Son of God that that his friends of Jesus would testify about him. Because you, you know me. You know me. Secondly, it's an expression that is verbal. It's an expectation and it's an it's a verbal expression. With our lips, with our mouths, with our tongues, it's verbal. 
This is a picture, we'll throw, show this picture of Francis of Assisi. He lived his life straddled of the 12th century and start of the 13th century. Francis of Assisi, he was an Italian friar. Francis of Assisi, uh, known as a lover of animals, is probably what he's most famous for. And he's reported to have said these words. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. And this saying is well barred out every time uh, someone wants to suggest that Christians talk about the gospel too much and live the gospel too little, which is fair enough. That can be a, a problem. But the problem is that Francis of Assisi never said this. He did not say it. It's a myth. His biographers in the first 200 years, not one of his biographers, and he was famous, he had many followers, many fans, None of, no biographer in the first 200 years says anything about this saying at all. It's only in the last 100 years that it's come into place. And that is interesting, isn't it? And he didn't say it. He did not say, preach your gospel at all times when necessary, use words. He didn't say it, and he didn't live it. He began, Francis of Assisi began preaching early in his ministry, first in his church in Assisi in Italy, which he'd gone to as a child, later in a cathedral. He'd usually preach on Sundays. He'd spend Saturday night in prayer and meditation. And then he would preach on Sundays. Uh, he began itinerating. He would go sometimes up to five villages to preach. He would um, preach to anyone. He would um, stand on a hay bale and preach. He would stand on the um, steps of a doorway and preach. He would preach to servants he would preach to landholders, to merchants, to women, clerks. Um, they said he even preached to animals. He was a Bible basher. And uh, contrary to the, the image of Francis of Assisi being meek and mild, he was known for both his kindness and his severity. One moment he, they say he could be friendly and cheerful and, and uh, prancing about, playing on his fiddle, um, but the next moment, he would be there denouncing evil and sin wherever he found it. Uh, one early biographer said this, A life of sin met with outspoken rebuke from Francis of Assisi, not, sus not support. Wouldn't abide by sin, with sin. He spoke with equal honesty to great and small. And um, quickly he gained followers. People started to follow him. And by the fall of uh, 12,008, he began sending out the brothers two by two to distant parts to preach also. Francis was a preacher. He spoke verbally, he witnessed verbally about Jesus. And his style 
would not be popular today as, as hell, fire, brimstone. So why is it that we remember Francis of Assisi as a guy who petted bunnies and never said a cross word? And the reason is we live in a sentimental age, don't we? Sentimental age. You know, Father Christmas is king. And the, the animal we must protect is the Easter bunny because we live in a sentimental age. And that, that saying that Francis of Assisi never said goes with the postmodern age that we live in. The assumption that words finally are empty of meaning. But actually words are full of meaning. And the prophets and Jesus and Paul put a high value on preaching the word of God. And we, you know, we do want our actions to, to, to meet with our words, don't we? To match our words. But the gospel is a message. It is about words. So, evangelism is expected by Jesus and it's uh, expressed verbally by the friends of Jesus and it's echoed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is working as well. The Spirit of Jesus is working as well. Luke, if you don't mind coming up. And, um, you know, so I reckon some people have a particular gift of evangelism, but it's expected by all of us. It's like other gifts. You know, sometimes we kind of have to work outside of what we're really, really good at. But um, when we see it, particularly in a person, um, the Lord tends to to use them in, uh, in a strong way, and it's good for the, the rest of the, the team to gather around them, help them up in the line-out. So, um, where's that other mic gone? So this is Luke. Thanks, Luke. A few minutes of how you do evangelism and, and working along with the Holy Spirit. Thanks, buddy. Uh, cheers for that, Carl. Um, so there has been times in my life where um, Sean was going to speak today, and he'd have... He was going to share about how God had given particular prompting sometimes. And he'd say, you know, go and speak to this person. And obviously, if God's telling you to do that, it's usually going to be fruitful. And um, I've had experiences like that. I remember being in Wakefield, where I live, and I felt God speak to me really clearly. Say, go to town. There'll be a man waiting there for you. Um, so I walked the long walk to town. I found the guy sat on the bench. And I said, oh, God's told me to come speak to you. They said, oh, well, that's good, because I was just about to rob the shop so I could go to jail for Christmas. Um, you know, in England, people often like to go to jail for Christmas, get the Christmas dinner, get a bit of a feed there. And um, well, I said, no, nah, no, nah, that's not what's happening. You're coming to church tomorrow. And um, sure enough, he was there, and he heard the gospel, and he got saved. And, um, yeah, so that was a real great example of how, how God can, you know, this is one example. This is what I'm going to say. This has happened maybe eight years ago. And that's not the norm, but um, also God has spoken to us by his spirit in the scriptures, and he's told us to go and preach the gospel to everyone. So um, as I step out in faith to share the gospel with people, I'm never not confident, oh, maybe God doesn't want me to share the gospel with this person. Because God has revealed in the scripture that that is what he wants. He desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and he loves everyone. And he wants them to be saved. So I know that I'm, I'm in the will of God where I'm in the world anywhere uh, preaching the gospel to anyone. 
And um, that's an encouragement for you all that we don't um, sometimes need to wait for a, a special prompting, as good as that is, uh, when God's already spoken clearly and revealed in his word. Preach to everyone, tell them I love them, tell them my son died for them, and that if they trust in me, they'll be saved. Uh, so that's really what I wanted to share, Carl. So evangel evangelism is expected by Jesus, expressed by the friends of Jesus, and it's echoed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is testifying too. It's an echo of what the Spirit of God is doing. It's working in line with what the Spirit is doing. There's a church in uh, Mount Monganui called Kurait Church, and uh, one of the leaders there was saying one time they had uh, this guy come in, and he was, as visitors often do, they come early. Visitors come early. <laughs> That's why it's good to come early, because the visitors often come early. And um, came early. And, and he said this, he said, um, uh, I've come, my wife sent me because uh, we've had all these good things, these really good things happen to us as a family. And, and we wonder if there's a God. And we wonder if you have God in this church. We wonder if you have God in this church. And so what was happening was the Holy Spirit was speaking. Hey. And what they needed to hear was, was just that they needed to hear the words of a human to say what the words of the Spirit was saying. Hey, follow Jesus. So we went home, got the family. They came to Jesus, joined the church. Uh, Lloyd Rankin, the the leader of, just for a few more months, of uh, Vineyard New Zealand, says what it is, it's like catching the drip, catching a drip. And when you see, kind of see where the, what the Holy Spirit is doing, you go get there and do the same thing. You know, get there where that drip is dropping, dripping. Um, like Luke, it's, it's kind of happened in a kind of dramatic way, I feel, only a couple of times for me. Uh, not often. Uh, one time it was actually this car park, and I was sitting there. It was a real rough sort of day. It was winter, and uh, there's there's three cars there: my car, another car, and another car. And I just kind of felt the spirit say, "Go and talk to the guy in the third car." Oh, I don't really want to. And I was waiting for the time to come. I was on setup to set up the chairs. Anyway, as I was waiting there, sort of, I was going to walk and pray along the beach a bit, but it was rough. And so, anyway, I got out of the car and went and uh, went over to his window. And um, he wound down. I was, just, you know, trying to make small talk. I said, "Oh, what are you up to?" He says, um, "I'm just meditating on Jesus." And he wasn't a Christian. He's kind of new agey, but um, it was amazing, you know that how ready and open he was for the, for the conversation that followed. Uh, another time, it was about five years ago, and I was on a board in Auckland, so I was, I'd, I'd go up um, about four times to Auckland a year, and there was someone who lived down a street, and she was going up to Auckland for a meeting too, and we knew them a little bit, kids coming to play a bit, and um, it, 
ended up our, actually our seats were next door to each other in the plane. So talking talking to her about church and about um, uh, actually the the first Noho Marae was coming up. Anyway, I, she went. We got off at Auckland. She went to her meeting. I went to my meeting. Next day, uh, we were on the same plane. In fact, next door to each other again on the same t- plane. So for another hour, we talked to each other. We got off at the Gisborne terminal, and and um, she said, "Right, my family and I are coming to the Noho." <laughs> and uh, she came. Pani spoke, had an altar call. Uh, no one came up. Um, Bay said, "I think I think someone needs to come and respond," and she did. And she said, "I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's, what's happening, but I think I need to be to come up." And you know, and so that was the work of the Spirit. Eh? There was different people involved, but that was the work of the Spirit. That was catching the drip. It's exciting, you know. Um, Often we feel uh, nervous, uh, often we feel guilty that we don't do it, um, we feel worried, but when you kind of sense and see the Spirit at work, and you can get alongside what the Spirit is doing, it's just, there's not many things that as exciting as that. Don't be nervous. It's an ex- expectation of Jesus that his friends would speak about him. It's a verbal expression, and it's an echo of what the Spirit of God is already doing. So I'm going to do two things, maybe three actually. I'm going to pray for all of us that uh, we would be open to it, not afraid, uh, not opposed, no walls, that we would be open to it even if we don't think it's our particular gift, that as the Spirit leads us and gives us courage to do that, that that would happen. And um, so I'm going to do that now and then I'm going to do something else. Let's pray. Put out your hands if you want. Lord, I thank you for these people. And I pray that, uh, I thank you that your Spirit, you, you, you sent your Spirit and it's with us. And you said you'd never leave us or forsake us. You even said you would give us not the words that we are to say. And I pray, I thank you for your beloved here, Te Hunga Tapu, the sacred assembly, that, um, and that now, Lord, anoint them by your spirit. When you lead them to speak words of you, that they would do that, and they would be anointed, and, and there'd be this fire out. This is amazing type of events and occasions. I pray that, Lord, um, do that with and for these people for the advancement of your kingdom. Amen.